Hi, this is Nate Kipnis from Kipnis Architecture Plus Planning. You're listening to WCGO Radio 1590 and 95.9 Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. First message. Yes, Mr. Novak. Al Pacino, I was in town here for a couple days, and I thought I'd give you a call. I'm having a problem with my burning bushes. They are prematurely burning it is only mid-summer, uh, as they say. What the hell's going on here? We, uh, we having a meltdown or what? It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the Right. Well, here they are, kind of. Not what you expect. Wait a second. Who's sitting in the big chair? Oh, my goodness, it's Lamanda Joy. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I don't, I, I don't even know if I can explain what's happened in the last couple of days, but I'm not in the studio. If you look behind me, you see green and you see the banner. It, now, is that banner reading forward or backward? In my screen, it reads backward. Is it no, read forward? Can you? It's good. It looks good? Yeah. Hi, Lamanda Joy. Good morning. From, uh, City Grange and Peterson Garden Project and a bunch of other things. How are you? I'm great this morning. Great. It's a glad. I'm glad you're in the studio. I I wish I could be with you. I am in the wilds of Connecticut. Wow. Okay. Wow. Just outside of Hartford. Um, yesterday drove through Providence, Rhode Island. Was on Cape Cod with CL Fornari on her radio show oh, yesterday. Oh, fun! I love her. Yeah. If you if you go to the Mike Novak show on Facebook, you can see that I was on for two hours. And man, she just. The calls just come in one after another, and she just sits there and answers them, and that's not what I do. <laughs> Very different from what I do. I have wonderful guests like Lamanda Joy and Joan Murray, who is the plant boss. You're not the garden boss because we know William Moss is the garden boss, but you're the plant boss at uh, at City Grange. And welcome to you, Joan. Well, thank you very much. It's a beautiful day it's, here it's, in Chicago. Yeah. It, it, what's the weather like? It's a little bit cloudy, but it's still beautiful. It is. There's not a cloud in the sky here in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, so here we go. I'm uh, Peggy. Peggy is indisposed again today, so uh, I'm hosting it from here. Except I have guests in the studio, and I'm not in the studio. It's really weird, but that's the way these things go. And uh, do we have uh, uh, Rick DeMaio? He wanted to jump in. Our meteorologist. 
because, as you know, there's a hurricane barreling down Eesh. on uh, the southeast part of the United States. Uh, do we have him available, Andrew? Are you there? Yep, I'm here, Mike. Okay, Rick. Well, we got a little bonus Rick DeMaio. I don't even have my dingers with me, so I can't ding anything. I I, I, I feel right. naked without him here. <laughs> Um, we're going to give you a quick hit here before we get to the meat of our conversation about gardening and fall plants and containers and, and why are your tomatoes still green and all that. But what's happening uh, on the southeast part of the United States? Well, the reason why I'm on early, Mike, is uh, Hurricane Hunter went into the eye of Hurricane Jordan about an hour ago um, and upgraded the status of the hurricane from a Category 5 now to almost a Category 6. And the reason why I say that is because the Category 5 hurricane has winds of 155 miles per hour. We found that uh, basically at about 5 a.m. this morning. But the new update from the Hurricane Center now has that storm, get this, maximum sustained winds of 175 miles per hour with gusts up to 200. And the central pressure is now now down to 922 millibars, which is exactly what it was when Hurricane Andrew uh, barreled through the Bahamas uh, pretty much about this weekend, uh, back in 1992. This hurricane is going to devastate, I mean absolutely destroy, the northern Bahamas today. Uh, there's a small island called Elbow Key, which I was actually on back in the early 90s. Uh, it's connected to a larger island called the Great Apico Island in a small city called Marsh Harbor, And if you Google Marsh Harbor Airport or also Marsh Harbor Webcam, you may actually see the beginning of the outer eyewall of Hurricane Dorian approach that area. I would not be surprised if that island, and it's it's sad for me to say this, could easily be 90% destroyed. This is about as strong as a hurricane that you will ever see. In addition to that, storm surge in advance of this could easily be 15 or 20 feet. I think the highest point on that island, Mike, is the top of the lighthouse, which is about 30 feet. This is not good news at all for the northern Bahamas. The good news, though, is that the storm most likely after it moves to the northern Bahamas later on tonight is going to make a little bit of a north turn, then a right turn, then begin the weekend, and most likely not hit the U.S. mainland until maybe the outer banks of North Carolina Wednesday night into Thursday morning. Soil and plant health don't stop at harvest. Now is the critical time to set up for next season. And the products to use are from Tinyo Biologicals. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, the soil needs are the same. Feed those plants with spectrum and nutrient need to get your soil ready for spring. Go to blazing-star.com. The soil can make compost from field debris, so use BioDigester as well. Tinyo products from Blazing Star. Go to blazing-star.com. This is Mike Novak. If you're a sustainable business and you're not part of the McHenry County College Green Living Expo, my question is, what? It's McHenry County's largest annual green living event, but it's one of the best green events in the area. These folks get it. The energy is palpable. They're ready to change the world now with your help as a vendor or sponsor. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. If you love to landscape with trees and you haven't been to Rich's Fox Willow Pines in Woodstock, 
You've missed out on their collection of unique conifers and rare deciduous trees. Unfortunately, after 31 years in business, they're closing their doors at the end of 2019. So now is the time to take advantage of 40% off for container trees and 30% off in-ground trees. There's a good supply of pines, spruces, firs, hemlocks, junipers, yews, and the deciduous larches, bald cypresses, and dawn redwoods. Many of the cultivars are dwarf in form or have unusual shapes, such as weeping, mounding, or angular. These are not your grandfather's conifers. Stop by, select, and tag your trees now for fall digging. By the way, the sale of all their garden art goes to Mano Omano International Partners to build schools and clinics in Bolivia. Go to richesfoxwillowpines.com for more information. Follow them on Facebook and sign up for the e-newsletter. That's richesfoxwillowpines.com. Salami, Tommy. Give it to Gravy Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try and that could be the theme. Or, oh, have a tomato plato. I, I should have left that in there. Uh, the great Cab Calloway. Uh, what a terrific song. And that could be your theme, uh, Lamanda. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Because I've seen your garden. Uh, and uh, it's fantastic. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, except without Peggy Malecki. We've got Lamanda Joy. You're going to join us for the whole two hours today, right? Maybe. If you behave yourself. <laughs> if, oh, no, great. Oh, no pressure, no. Mike. No pressure. Uh, none at all. No, I'm not capable of behaving myself. And here we are. I, I'm Blue Skies here in Connecticut and Hartford. You're in Chicago. You've also got a beautiful day, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, a little, and a little overcast, about, but pleasant. Okay. Are, are you expecting any rain there? I need to know if, my, if I need to get somebody to water my plants. You know, we got a lot of rain last night, so you're good. Oh, we did? Yeah. Yay. All right. I would hit the ding. Yeah, really. I have the ding here, but I, I don't know. have the ding. And I know you wanted, that's what you wanted to do. You I wanted know. to come on the show and be able to hit the dinger. I would have brought my I'm kazoo sorry. had I known. <laughs> oh, I might have one here someplace. Um, oh, and my banner it? fell over. Isn't that? <laughs> it, it's that kind of day. It's all right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it doesn't take much. All it takes is a, you know, I like it like that. Let's just leave it. Yeah. I like it. Leave it down. That's kind of funny actually. Uh, cause now you can see the background a little more and, uh, I like that. Uh, so here we are. Uh, we're, we're here to talk about the end of the season and what folks can do and folks can still do a lot in their garden. I mean, heck, it's September 1st. That's, that's all we are at the moment. Um, and uh, that means that there's a lot of work that you can still get done in the garden. But let, let me start with the question uh, about tomatoes. Mm. I want to know what kind of tomato year you've had and Joan has had because Peggy and I have talked about it on the show all summer. And for us, it, it's been kind of iffy. It's some some plants produced and some plants did not produce, and it seemed to have very little rhyme or reason. Well, I have to say that I've probably had the best tomato year in a decade. Oh, jeez. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. You know. Um, okay. But here's the interesting thing. You know, we had that cold, wet spring. We yeah. were kind of busy opening City Grange. I didn't get my tomatoes until 1st of June, and the plants were puny, you know, because it was yeah. just so awful in the spring, and they've 
remain sort of puny, but they maybe it's the the stress of that, but they have produced have these giant giant clusters of big tomatoes. It, and it's such a surprise. I wasn't expecting much at all this year, but yeah, it's it's really been quite uh, rewarding. Here's what I will say to folks who are watching on Facebook and following us on Twitter. And by the way, uh, once again, as we're expanding our empire, uh, we're streaming live on Facebook. We're streaming live on Periscope, which is the Twitter app. And I don't know. <laughs> I always figure there's like three people following the uh, Periscope on Twitter, but who knows? Uh, and on YouTube, we're streaming live at uh, the Mike Novak Show channel on YouTube. Uh, so any of those places, if uh, you want to send us your observations on your tomato year. Yeah, well, you know, it's always a surprise with tomatoes because that's the thing everybody wants to grow. And, you uh, you know, we hope for the best. I uh, saw a funny cartoon the other day that showed a bunch of green tomatoes. And in the background, you saw uh, a family with their car loaded up to go on a trip and the tomatoes are saying they're going on vacation let's ripen so uh you know we all have this sort of intimate relationship with hoping that we're going to have the the best tomato year ever i found uh, i like to say for growing tomatoes if you're new to it <clears throat> that cherry tomatoes are the way to cherry tomatoes are the way to go um we've had a lot of success with that this year we've also uh you know i always grow organically we grow uh, heirloom tomatoes in our home garden. Uh, we don't do a ton of hybrids, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, but that's just sort of what we like. At City Grange this year, we sold, um, you know, probably 25 different varieties of tomatoes. I grew all of them in my home garden just so I could uh, talk about them later if people had questions or specifically were looking for advice on the tomatoes that they've purchased. And, uh, you know, I really just love cherry tomatoes in particular because... You can get so many different colors and varieties, and it's interesting. They're fun for kids. They're easy to grow. You can do them in a container. You know, it's sort of a happy place growing cherry tomatoes. But for everybody everybody that loves the big tomatoes, you know, that's also something that uh, I enjoy growing. My favorites are called Aunt Ruby's German Green. And they take a while to ripen, but yes, they're ripe when they're green and they're beautiful and delicious. You know, some of the uh, non-red tomatoes, white tomatoes, which are actually a light yellow, or orange tomatoes, or green tomatoes, um, they tend to have a little less acid, be a little sweeter, which is good for people that um, maybe get some indigestion from the more acidy versions. Yeah. So I remember at the start of this gardening season, there was a lot of concern over the weather. I remember June 21st, it was still 50 degrees, 55 degrees. Mm -hmm. How much would you say that this affected the gardening season overall, especially as someone you just opened up City Grange at the beginning of the season? Did it have a bad effect? Well, I wouldn't say that it was a a bad effect. I think it just sort of postponed Andrew? the season a little bit. So we uh, got started a little bit later than usual. Joan, do you have any thoughts about the ornamental side of things? Well, in the gardening business or in gardening seasons, um, every season is different. Um, none, none is bad or good. It just has different circumstances. So this year we started with a very, very wet spring, then followed by a pretty hot summer with not a lot of rain. So there have been different plants on the uh, decorative side or ornamental side that have done really well. We've seen tropicals now are, like, doing great uh, towards the end of the summer. The uh, lantana, cannas 
are doing good. And I think we're going to go into a warm fall, and then we'll have plants like the mums and asters, which will have a, a long a long season. Unfortunately, the spring stuff didn't fare as well just because of the rainy conditions and the cold. I think but, I'm back. I'm, uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, well just, you just know, one, talk amongst oh. yourselves about tomatoes. That's fine. <laughs> well, just one thing about the cool, uh, you know, the bad spring, as it were. It was yeah. an epic lettuce year. I've seen the most beautiful <laughs> oh, yes. lettuce yes. and spinach and peas, and it lasted way into June, which is very unusual. So, you know, every season has its benefits it, one way or another. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we're dealing with the vagaries here of long-distance connections, and sometimes they pop out and they sometimes pop in. And I, I'll tell you, Andrew, I got off Wi-Fi and it went out of my cell, and uh, that actually was uh, was better. So just so you know what's going on on this end. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Those uh, wonderful women in the studio are Lamanda Joy and Joan Murray from City Grange. It's a brand-new garden center on Chicago's north side Unlike anything you've seen before, because you guys are about learning, uh, which is a cool thing. Give me, give, give me your elevator speech about what you are trying to accomplish uh, at the garden center. Well, we believe the world would be a better place with more gardeners in it, and our goal is to remove as many barriers to gardening success as possible. And our motto is "United We Blossom," and we feel that you know, uh, as a small business, as a social enterprise, as human beings, the better off we are together, the better off we are together. So we've really made a point of being a place where people can come in, buy plants that work in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They what? can be successful. That, that is, buy plants that, that work. <laughs> they you you be... know what I, by the way, you know what I'm seeing out here, out on the, um, towards the eastern part of the United States here, northeast, uh, everybody is uh, growing hydrangeas. Everybody grows hydrangeas out here. It's hydrangea madness. I have never seen... I saw. I was at a shopping center the other day, and they had this little sad, little sickly berm of uh, low-grow junipers, and shooting up through the middle of it was a, a hydrangea. Um, it's just every... That's what you're going to plant out here. And they have acidic soil, so right. they can get bl- blue. Yeah. hydrangeas, whereas in the Midwest we get pink. Same as, uh, you know, I grew up in Oregon and I'm out there all the time visiting my mother. It is hydrangea capital. And those, they're like the size of basketballs. I mean, they're enormous and they're healthy and they're beautiful. It's a it's a corners thing, I think. You know, but the, the left side and the west side of the country are very hydrangea-centric. I think it has also to do with the soil and the fact of the sea air. I mean, look at Cape Cod. And even when you go to England, the hydrangeas did great there. So I always kind of attribute it to the ocean being close. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it may have something to do with it, but they sure love their hydrangeas <laughs> out here. Okay, really quickly, and uh, I appreciate you guys vamping about tomatoes <laughs> while my signal dropped out. Uh, but uh, what other things in terms of veggies, because I want to get to containers in a second. Uh, in terms of veggies, what are you telling people they should be doing for the fall? Well, we're starting to get in our fall veggies this coming week. And so uh, fall's a great time to enjoy all those things you enjoy in the early spring. Lettuces, peas, you can plant uh, root crops, radishes, carrots, beets. Those can all be ready before the first frost. Collards, chard, kale, which, you know, gives you double duty because kale, as you know, is beautiful in the garden, but it's also beautiful in a container. So there's a lot of really great things you can do in fall. If you're not too tired, 
And if you have any room left in your garden while you're waiting for your tomatoes to ripen. But um, yeah, there's a lot of really great things that uh, you can plant now and get your harvest in before the first frost and, you know, take advantage of your gardening space. Why not? Yeah, yeah. And and that's what we're trying to encourage people to do because too many people get to September 1st and they say garden season's over. And that's kind of crazy because there's, a, as, as Joan mentioned earlier, we're going to be warm in September. Uh, you can take advantage of that. And depending on where you live and what the weather's like, uh, the the average frost date in this area is around October 15th. But I know from living in the city for many years, it's often after November 1st. Yes. Uh, so that means you've got two months. Um, and if you're by the lake, you might have some more time as well. Exactly. Sometimes it's sort of mid, mid-November. You know, with Peterson Garden Project, we close, yeah. close our gardens the first Sunday in November. And then we go in and glean everything. And... Out of the last 10 years, nine of those years, we've been able to get stuff out before the frost. One year, it, it did snow. It was very cold, maybe two years ago. But the weather's been pretty pretty temperate or, you know, livable at least through early November. So that's just a great reason for people to plant another round of vegetables now and enjoy them. The other benefit is it's all going to be sort of coming to fruition, ready to be harvested around Thanksgiving. And how nice is that to have fresh garden produce to show off to all your friends? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So that takes us to containers. And that was one of the things we advertised. Uh, if you're at this time of year, there there are some people, they want to do containers for each separate season. And then there are others, the lazy ones like me, they set it out in spring and hope it makes it through the summer. And then in the fall, they'll think about it. And then, oh, yeah, I, I suppose I should do something for uh, the cold winter months, uh, which will be very different from everything else. So, Joan, what would you say? What are you telling people to put in their containers right now? Well, first of all, you can look at your containers left over from the summer and see if there's anything that would still work with the containers. Maybe you've got an ivy that looks good, Creeping Jenny. But the things that you could put in containers right now that are fabulous are asters, pansies. Uh, We'll be carrying some really special black pansies that will be amazing. Kale, cabbage, mums, peppers. The the liberating thing about the fall in containers, it's a short season. You can try things, and it's not like you want them to last for six months. And so you don't have to worry so much about exposure, et cetera, et cetera. Just it's you should have some fun with it. So you're saying spruce up what you've got, but uh, don't give up. And you and it's easy to make the transition if you're using kales and cabbages because they're pretty tough and uh, they'll survive a few early frosts and maybe even a light freeze. It's uh, they're tough plants, aren't they? Correct. And when I, yesterday we were, had a class and we were talking about this. And what happens with fall containers is that some of the plants will slowly die off. But as they die off, the kale and cabbage gets bigger and kind of takes over the container. It's a really kind of a fun thing to do and, and to watch because you'll plant a container in September. And by Thanksgiving, the cabbage and kale will still be there and it'll look totally different. And, and don't forget Swiss chard. It's so pretty in there, too. Yes, thank you. You're I love right. those yellow stem <laughs> yes. ones. Yes, we're getting some rainbow light Swiss chard this week. That's gorgeous. Swiss chard is, yes. is absolutely wonderful. You're right. It's, it's very, very colorful. So in terms of color that you want to put, yeah, you, you mentioned asters um, and, um, you know, the kales are mm-hmm. going to be 
purples and that sort of thing. What about a bright color? What do you want to get in there? Well, I mean, a bright color, you know, that's a relative term <laughs> uh, to me, what a bright color is. But, I mean, I love, like, the goldenrod yellows. So the, the bright yellows, like the color of the goldenrod flower, also the gold tones and orange. So you, that's, the, I, that's kind of the palette I would go. And, of course, you always can sprinkle a little purple in. Uh-huh. And there's also a beautiful uh, black pepper. Sorry, Mike. There's a black pepper I have to call the black opal pepper that's gorgeous. It has a lot of uh, texture to a fall container. Uh, and I'm looking at Facebook and, um, and Tony Abriscato. Uh, is, 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 he's coming up next, but he's talking about the beautiful weather and what his deck is doing with this weather, which is coming up. And he also says he was caught in a hurricane, Hurricane Wilma in Mexico several years back. So Tony's got a few uh, stories to tell, and uh, he will be joining us next. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki in the studio. We have Lamanda Joy and Joan Murray from City Grange, a great garden center in Chicago. And we're going to be talking about, well, a truck when we come back. Get out of your car and join the people of Evanston as they walk, bike, play, and celebrate green living in a car-free mile of Main Street on September 8th. Exercise classes, bike activities, music, interactive art, giant Jenga, Bollywood dance, and more. The Evanston Green Living Festival will be there with product services and ideas that encourage attendees to lead more sustainable lives. And the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a sponsor. Go to evanstonstreetsalive.org or find them on Facebook. What happens when you bring together hundreds of people from diverse faiths and walks of life across Illinois and the Midwest with the goal of healing the earth? You get the Green Team Summit, which celebrates the 20th anniversary of Faith in Place. This important gathering happens on Saturday, September 14th at the Field Museum in Chicago. And the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki will be there. We want you to join us to fight for environmental justice. Go to faithinplace.org. Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed away down the highway? Zero to 60 in under three seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2019 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV. But you need to get your tickets soon because only 2,500 will be sold. So how do you win? Go to store.illinoisolar.org. That's store.illinoisolar.org. Buy one raffle ticket for $100 or the four-pack for $300. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 5th, 2019. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible to win, and you don't even need to be present at the drawing to claim your prize. So get your tickets, the rules, and all the other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. Summer has come and passed The innocent can never last Wake me up when September ends Or just keep me awake so that I can uh, work on my garden and uh, make my containers look better. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki in the studio. We're very pleased to have a, a couple of friends of ours uh, from City Grange, Lamanda Joy and Joan Murray. And I think on the Skype machine, if I'm not 
mistaken, we have uh, the one, the only, t- Tony Abruscato. Tony, are you there? I am here, Mike. Good morning. Okay, I do not hear him if he's uh, if he's speaking. Is uh, okay, Tony. Are you with me? I'm with you, Mike. Can you hear me? Ah, there. We, yeah, there we go. There we go. All great, right, terrific. Great. <laughs> wow, the technology's working. Uh, that's great. It's uh, good to have you here, Tony. Uh, has been on the show many times. Uh, he is uh, uh, the uh, director of the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Uh, he's been part of the uh, Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards, and I should mention that because we're in the middle of judging those right now. Uh, actually, most of the judging has been done, and now the post-judging judging is going on, people in meetings and and deciding which gardens are going to get awards this year. And uh, LaManda's been part of that, too, a big sponsor and, and supporter of Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. But the Chicago Flower and Garden Show that Tony's part of has... Uh, been with us from the get-go three years ago, and we really, really appreciate that. But uh, you're also founder and executive director of Get Growing Foundation, uh, a not-for-profit that uh, you say is growing a next generation of gardeners. Tell me about it. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, Yeah, Get Growing Foundation is really uh, came out of the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, where we're taking the principles at the show, how to inspire people with what they see, educate them about what or how they can do things in their own green space, and then motivate them to make a difference in that space. And so the Get Growing Foundation is doing that on a yearly basis with, um, right now we just finished 12 community impact projects. We're building a uh, school garden and community education garden on the northwest side in Rogers Park. Um, and then also we, we launched our new plant truck, which is going to take plant material out to different communities um, that are uh, served and and both underserved, but a predominant focus on the underserved communities and, and bringing them out much needed uh, plant material. So we're really excited about that. And very similar to what um, you know we're doing with City Grange and what City Grange is doing is partnering with them in a lot of cases where um, we're going out and educating consumers as well as just selling them plant material. Okay, let's get back to plant truck. If I had had a dinger here, it would have been ding for a plant truck. Ding. <laughs> ding. And um, tell me about plant truck. Why is this important? I mean, when you, uh, I ran into you at an event earlier in the summer, and you said, oh, look at these photos. And he starts showing me photos like they're his kids, uh, except it's of this big <laughs> truck. And it's got plants in it. And he says, we're going to be driving it around the city and having people come in. For folks who haven't seen a photo of it, give them an idea of what the heck you're talking about. So we have a 1974 GMC step utility truck, which think uh, think of a um, a UPS truck or uh, a mail truck, United States Mail Postal Service truck, and and what was done is Jason Verbeek, who's in artist and also owns a a construction construction company he had retrofitted this truck so that he could sell his metal sculpture art um, but he was big into the ecology and so he would load it up with uh, tropical plants and house plants and he would go to different art fairs and he would sell his artwork and he would sell house plants and so one night i was out at a at an event for the chicago sculpture exhibit and you know, as I do, Mike, you know, I just keep talking about things that I want to get accomplished in our in our 
uh, realm of the Flower and Garden Show and Get Growing Foundation. And so I was sharing with Jason how I wanted to do this food truck, but full of plants and how I wanted to go out into different communities and make sure that, uh, you know, we're we're capitally, capitalizing one on houseplant sales, which are up 300 percent nationwide. And so we wanted to use this as a fundraiser for uh, the Get Growing Foundation. But then I also finding out that there's not really garden centers on the south and southwest side of the city. And a lot of my friends that I was talking to over there living in Lawndale, my friend Liletta in particular, was saying how she was doing mail order gardening because she doesn't drive. And, you know, to try to schlep, you know, racks of tomatoes and, and, and packs and soil and things on two buses to get to wherever she had to go was impossible. So we decided, I was telling Jason how I wanted to use this plant truck to provide access to plant material. And that's when he came up and said, oh, I have one. And I'm like, you have what? And he said, a plant truck. I, I retrofitted this truck and he showed me a picture of it. And so I shared with him, again, more of our mission. And he looked at me and he said, are you really going to be able to do this? Do, do you have the relationships and the connections within the, you know, the community to, to make this happen? And I said, I really do. I've got great people on our side that will help us make this happen. And with that, um, he basically handed me the keys and said, you know what? I want to donate this to the Get Growing Foundation because I think you'll be able to do so much more with it than I've been able to do. I want you to have it. And so he donated this truck to us. And and Mike, to your point, when you talk about a truck, the interior has been um, retrofitted. It's insulated an inch thick. And the top has been cut out and the uh, greenhouse glass has been placed on the top. So it's good, beautiful sunlight. And then the walls are basically like a pallet wood or barn wood, if you will. Um, that are inside. It's absolutely gorgeous. And if you go to our Instagram account, Plant Truck Chicago, uh, you'll see photos of uh, photos of the interior of the truck. But um, it's absolutely it's absolutely amazing. And we launched it at the Independent Garden Center show a, a couple of weeks ago, and the response from the industry was just overwhelming. Fantastic. See, so now what you're telling me is. You have a 1974 truck that has better growing conditions than my living room, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. I can maintain, with the heater that's in there, I can maintain 70-degree temperature in winter between the greenhouse glass and the insulated walls and the heater. It also has a water reservoir tank uh, that has a, an electronic pump. And so uh, I can water the entire truck with a water source uh, from inside the actual <laughs> truck truck itself. And so um, we're, you know, it's exciting. And, and City Grange is, is helping us curate the plant material that we'll uh, be selling on the truck, both in business areas, so by the Aon Center and the Prudential Building and, and farmers markets that we get into. But then also um, we've been talking with Southside Occupational and working with their special needs programs. And we will have special needs kids that are doing starter plants for us, um, veggies and herbs that we can then take out into underserved communities. And our goal is to sell them as inexpensively as possible. So if we can sell them a tomato plant for a buck that was grown by special needs kids, 
Um, that's amazing. I was out with Anna Ball on, um, I guess just yesterday, uh, I was out with Anna Ball yesterday and they talked about how they'd like to donate, um, seeds and, and starter plugs to our, to our program, which will reduce our costs, um, even more. And then Lamanda can talk about a little bit and Joan about, you know, uh, utilizing some of the United We Blossom, um, apprentice programs that, um, we're working on together and use them to actually get, um, retail and, and planning experience inside the, the plant truck. Well, yeah, let me, let me get to that a little bit because I'm kind of curious, you know, you're talking plants, but then you also talk tomatoes and you're talking indoor plants. Uh, Lamanda, maybe you can address the kind of plant materials in here. It's not, it's, you know, I, I, I inadvertently called it a garden truck and it's not a garden truck. It's really not a farm truck. It is a plant truck which is because you're also looking at indoor plants. And I imagine for a lot of people, those are luxuries that they're not normally going to purchase and put in their homes, A, because they don't have the money, and B, they don't have any knowledge about how to grow them properly. So what do you, what kind of a mix of plants are you looking at here, Lamanda? Well, you know, seasonally speaking, we wouldn't be selling, uh, you know, tomato starts in the middle of the summer because it's too late, right? So we'll be selling stuff that's appropriate for the growing season. You know, we're, if you're not interested in growing veggies for this fall season, then you might be interested in bringing some houseplants into your home to help purify the air, reduce your stress, et cetera. So the same sort of curated products that we'll have at the shop at City Grange, you'll see those in the plant truck. And as Tony said, we're very excited. We have uh, Tony and I, Tony, who is also my garden husband. Everybody should know that. <laughs> so it's out in the open, my garden husband. Anyway, Tony and I have collaborated to develop a job training program called United We Blossom. And with that program, we are teaching people how to work in the garden center industry. And one of our goals, you know, Tony said earlier that he just keeps talking about stuff until it happens. We're very similar in that regard. We very much want to have, at some point, a growing facility where we can teach uh, people that are learning uh, retail and customer service and the garden center industry and landscaping at City Grange, also customer service on the plant truck. We would also like to have a facility where we can teach them how to grow the plants. And then that helps with price point. So we can make sure that when we're going to underserved neighborhoods, there's something that's affordable for everybody. And I think the, the key there, um, you know, with the going into the underserved communities, but really taking the the plant truck out into like a food truck into the business districts. The thing to remember again, plant, plant sales, house plant sales, indoor plants sales are up 300%. It's one of the fastest growing segments um, in the industry. And so not so much the luxury anymore. And what we want right. to share with people is how it will create oxygen and purify the air inside their offices. So they can take these back to their office space and enjoy some greenery in their cubicle. And especially if we're, we're doing different plants that are um, low light requirements and, and other things is that we'll be, we'll be selling those plants um, to people that are, they're out, they're out looking for them. And so we're going to, we're going to bring the plants to the people. It's fantastic. And I hope that people listening in other cities will say, I want a plant truck too. I want to drive around and show people how to do this. Tony Abrascato, thank you so much. You can go to Get Growing Foundation or go to Plant Truck Chicago on Instagram. 
Uh, we will be back with Lamanda Joy and Joan Murray in just a second. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa, citygrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. The Morton Arboretum says that anthracnose is primarily a foliar disease affecting many deciduous trees, including ash, elm, oak, and maple. I got a couple of elms out front that get uh, some anthracnose. In fact, they're getting them this time of we, year. We were looking at some as we were walking from yeah, the parking lot. Yeah, from the parking lot right now. We were looking at a tree. I went, oh, look, it's anthracnose. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> Plant diseases, they're in the eye of the beholder. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, Sundays 9 to 11 a.m. on WCGO Radio. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening Chicago magazine. And for the past eight years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier and more sustainable lives. Pick up a copy of Natural Awakenings each month and enjoy new information about health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, for those of you turning in late, uh, I'm not in the studio, but Lamanda Joy from City Grange is, and there she is, and uh, her buddy, Joan Murray, also from City Grange, who is the plant boss there. Uh, so does she order you around, Lamanda? Is that what goes on? You know, we have a mutually beneficial relationship, so she doesn't have to boss me around too much. <laughs> Great. Anytime somebody has the name boss attached to it, you, you, you wonder about that. Um, and, uh, so we've got, we've got a few minutes here and we, we, we delved into fall stuff. Um, I, I could go in a direction, but I, let me throw this out to you. What, what consumes a garden center on the 1st of September as you're moving forward? What, what are you thinking? Cause I, I know that. To some in the business, they're already thinking Christmas, okay? But I know you're about growing and having people continue to grow stuff as long as they can into the season. So with that in mind, uh, we talked a little bit about fall veggies. We talked a little bit about containers. What else is foremost in your mind as, as folks come in at this time of year? It's a great time to buy shrubs and plant them. Uh, because it, the temperatures are getting cooler, but the ground is still warm, and it gives shrubs a time to get enough moisture to get established and to really avoid like a, some kind of a shock that they sometimes go in. Uh, after the fall is the absolutely best time to plant shrubs. The grasses look beautiful right now, 
So, and also it's a good time to just assess your garden and start to think about spring. A lot of times garden centers um, will be having a sale next week on some perennials. It's a good time to pick up perennials that are past their bloom point, but you can put them in the ground for next year. So it's... Oh, yeah, the great sales. This yes, is a good time. Yes, um, uh, In fact, uh, C.L. Fornari and I were talking yesterday on her show out on Cape Cod, um about fall and watering you mentioned planting stuff one of the things i will tell people is i'm glad you had rain yesterday um but we we get into fall and things get a little cooler and i don't know what it is about that that gets people thinking they don't have to water anymore they think it's cool so the plant's going to be fine but plants still need water i mean if you were cool and didn't have a drink of water for two weeks you'd be really unhappy um, and plants are the same way, aren't they? Absolutely. Um, I think it just, we get burnt out. You're like, oh, good. Now I'm out to water. It's cool. <laughs> the ground, look, you know, the stuff doesn't look cracked and parched anymore as far as like the soils. But it is deceiving. You need to, like in containers, you have to put your finger in the soil and just see like how, you know, when it needs moisture. You can't ignore that stuff. And and you mentioned trees and shrubs. Yes. Uh, yeah. Great time to plant a lot of them. Yes. Not 100% of them, but a lot of them. Right. This is like the time of the year to do that. Um, and the question I have, and I've had for years, is about grasses. Because I know you've been featuring ornamental gl- grasses lately in some of your seminars and gatherings there. And, and kudos to you for doing that. Uh, what about planting uh, some uh, ornamental grasses. Uh, will is there enough time for them to take and be ready for the spring? Absolutely. Um, and right now, this is this is the the money time of the year for the grasses, so to speak. This is when they start getting their plumes, and then they're at their absolute best. Um, sometimes, what people don't realize is that when you do plant grasses, you don't even sometimes see anything come up until July. It has to be warm. So this is the time to plant the grasses and enjoy them. And I think one mistake people make sometimes in grass placement, put your grasses in your garden or in containers in the back so that it's not – so you don't have to look kind of at a bare spot for two months. Until they uh, well, come up, come up. As, as I tell people sometimes, okay, I'm going to give you a little gardening advice um, and planning advice, which is put – the small plants in front of the big plants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's sort of like gardening 101 uh, after a how to use a trowel. Uh, it's, uh, but it, but the folks, they forget about that, don't they, sometimes? Right. Well, you know, it's because you forget what a plant's going to look like two months after you plant it, or maybe you don't know yet. So a lot of times, you know, little plants you buy that are four inches are going to be a foot tall in two months. And, and so you have to read the tags and, and make – I think it's good to make a little plan before you what? plant. Read tags? Yeah. What? what are you talking about? Doesn't that just happen naturally? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the other thing I would say is not only the grasses because uh, most of them are going to be a little bit airy and you can, you can live with that. But when you're buying a shrub – and you have no idea what its mature size is going to be, you might be in for a world of hurt. Um, because as you've, pro- as you've both seen and I've seen and everybody in this business has seen, they plant uh, two shrubs next to e- on either side of the porch, and they have no idea how big they're going to get. Then in 10 years, they can't get in the front door. Yeah, that's- and Go ahead. Go ahead, Joan. No, I'm just laughing. I'm thinking about ewes all over. I'm up in Evanston right now and just <laughs> seeing that, that pattern over and over, the ewes you know, on either side of the door that are now huge. 
Oh yeah, you <laughs> you're talking about our radio station. Yeah, yeah, per- perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, busted, totally busted. WCGO, yes. you go in there and uh, and you got to thread your way through the U's uh, just to get into the station. So uh, yeah, that's that's part of 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 what's going on. Yes. So we've got we've covered. Get your 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 grasses done. Uh, get your uh, your uh, your shrubs and trees again. Uh, great time, and part of the reason is because uh, there's less energy of the plant that's going towards the leaves and more towards the root development. Which is, uh, in terms of conifers, especially Joan, um, you really want to get them good and watered uh, going into the winter season because once the ground freezes, they can't take up water, but they'll still release it, won't they? Correct. And with the conifer, once it dries out, it doesn't come back. Okay, you know, the dry branches, are once they turn yellow, brown, they never turn green again, which is a liberating thought. I mean, because you just, you know that, you know, you've got to keep things watered. And I wanted to interject one other thing, totally off subject, but not really about, I forgot, bulbs. It's a time of year to plant bulbs. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You know, you hit these times of year, and you're supposed to. I I tend to forget that too sometimes. But uh, let's talk a little bit about bulbs. I imagine you'll have a few over there at City Grange. Well, we're going to have a great selection of bulbs, and it's going to go with our great selection of plants. They're going to be a little more unusual, little things that you're not going to find everywhere, and also. Um, Bulb, just kind of quirky bulbs. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm not going to have giant, you know, bags of landscaper size of yellow tulips or something, but we're going to have much more uh, curated bulb collection. So, can you give me an idea? What are some of the quirky bulbs? You well, I like? mean, like I like all different types of daffodils. Fritillaria. Yeah. <laughs> what? Fritillaria. Fritillaria. Love fritillaria. Now, are you, are you talking about the little fritillaria or the big fritillaria? The checkered one. The checkered ones, which are wonderful, because there's the giant one that looks like a pineapple growing out of your ground. Right. The problem is they they like really sandy soil. Right. And they're not going to survive for more than a couple of years in clay soil around this area. Maybe I, I planted them in my yard and I got one year bloom. It was worth it, but they they don't stick around for a long time. But the little frittle area, I I they just pop up all over the place. Now you know we're only going to get the ones that do well here. That's true, and that's part of your <laughs> that's philosophy. Our goal. No, that's a yep. really good point. That's your philosophy is you want people to be successful. Yes. And that actually requires a different mindset from a lot of other garden centers, doesn't it? I'll give you my case in point, and, and you, you might have had some of these anyway, but rhododendrons, when I talk about rhododendrons in the Chicago area, <laughs> uh, a lot of them are going to fail. And I just wonder why we lean on rhododendrons so much in the spring and people put them into this clay alkaline soil and they hate it. And then they freeze over the winter and they hate that, too. Um, and then it just and- makes people feel like they're a failure when it's not their fault. They just got a plant that's not appropriate for here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So head over to City Grain. Give us the address. It's 5500 Northwestern Avenue. And you can go to City Grange. Dot com if you want more information. Uh, LaManda Joy and Joan Murray, the plant boss. Come and see Thank us. You. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be back. 
Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy and wealthy wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, except Peggy Malecki is not here today, and neither is Mike Novak. I don't know where that guy... Where in the world is Mike Novak? However, he is in the wilds of Connecticut, uh, near Hartford, a place called Vernon, and um, I'm sitting in the backyard. I moved the banner, which had flopped over, so if you're watching on Facebook uh, or on YouTube or on um, uh, Periscope, uh, there we are. And it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood here. Gosh, it's, it, it's lovely. And, uh, it's really weird looking at the studio and there's nobody there in the, in that shot. I don't even know if you've got that shot up because I haven't looked at uh, Facebook, but it's, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, however, uh, at this time of year, it's, um, it's the time when we have, Wonderful festivals because the weather is so beautiful at this time of year in Chicago. And one of the annual festivals that comes around, and we're always very happy to be part of it, is Evanston Streets Alive, which is next Sunday, September 8th, from 1 to 5 p.m. on Main Street between Chicago Avenue and Wesley Avenue. And uh, let's bring in event organizer Rick Nelson. Rick, are you there? Uh, I can hear you, Mike. Hear me now. Okay, there we are. All right. I've uh, got a right. little bit of an echo. We'll uh, we'll 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 deal with. How are you this Sunday morning? Uh, can all right. So let's let's tell me about Streets Alive. Let's let's just get the ball rolling here. Okay. Streets Alive is uh, part of the Open Streets Movement, and the Open Streets Movement is really based on the idea of closing streets off to car traffic and letting people come by foot or bike or public transportation. And ultimately what we want to do is have everyone come and creatively use the streets in a social and healthy way. So this Open Streets concept it actually started about 45 years ago in Bogota, Colombia, and it started off um, rather modestly back in that time frame. 
but today, after 45 years, um, the event uh, still happens every Sunday from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., and about a million people come out and use 76 miles of streets that have been blocked off to car traffic. So in Evanston, you know, what we're doing is a little bit more modest than that, but it's still a great event for the community to come out to and have a lot of fun. That's that, I was not aware of that history, so that's, that's fantastic. It seems to me, as you say, it, it's, it's, it's kind of modest here, but wouldn't it be great if you could shut down uh, a much larger area? Because it is a Sunday, after all. Why not? Uh, as we say in the, the commercials we're running for Streets Alive, get off your bike or get, off your, <laughs> get out of your car, get on your bike, and, or walk or, or just uh, do something different. And, and I like the idea uh, I, of uh, this spreading, and I, and I wish more uh, communities would do that. Well, I think in the U.S., I mean, actually, it's a, it's a bit of a worldwide phenomenon at this point in time, but I think in the U.S., you are actually seeing in quite a few cities, uh, many of them, not necessarily small cities, but I would probably say it's really catching on in medium-sized cities all, all across the U.S. So it's one of those things, if you get on the Internet and you do a search and you look for open streets events, um, you'll actually start to see that they're growing, you know, literally um, year by year. And um, a lot of people are starting to realize that they're a great way to get the community together in, in really a healthy way and in a way where people can socialize. So it really is a growing phenomenon. And I've seen, see that you've got, a, this is going to be really fun. And that's the other thing. It's not, it's not that you're just making a statement. It's, uh, it's all kinds of activities, uh, giant Jenga and beanbag toss and mural painting and STEM catapult and bird friendly Evanston and karate and healthy Evanston and all kinds of stuff, including the Green Living Festival, which is part of this. Tell us a little bit about what's happening with Green Living Festival. So the Green Living Festival is, is always part of the event, and in a sense there's a very long block on Main Street in Evanston between Ridge Avenue and Wesley Avenue, excuse me, and Asbury Avenue. And in that long block we have approximately 40 exhibitors who are really bringing their green products, services, and ideas and presenting those uh, to all the attendees who are coming to Streets Alive. So just to give you a feel um, for the types of exhibitors that would be at the Green Living Festival this year, is um, one of them is the NU Solar Car. So this is a, a group of NU students, and, and basically they have created over time, I want to say about seven different uh, um, solar cars, they race those cars and, and basically races around the U.S. and um, they basically compete. Fantastic! Well, there's a lot of green activities there, and uh, we're out of time. But I want to remind people they can go to my website, MikeNovak.net. We have links to uh, Streets Alive. Rick Nelson, thank you so much for being on board. We're a proud sponsor of Streets Alive, and I will see you there. Appreciate it very much. Hey, Chicagoland, when you want the best science-based tree care in the area, go to Bartlett Tree Experts. 
With locations in Barrington, Naperville, Chicago, and Northbrook, Bartlett has 80 tree care professionals ready to do what's right for your tree and you. Whether it's your home or your business, a large job or a small one, every tree needs a champion. Call Bartlett for a free estimate. Go to Bartlett.com. Hi, this is Peggy. McHenry County's largest annual green living event is also one of our area's best green events. The 2019 Green Living Expo, November 2nd at McHenry County College in Crystal Lake, attracts hundreds of attendees. We know, we've been there, and it's impressed us for years. So get your business in front of this crowd as a vendor or a sponsor. And yes, green holiday gift ideas are welcome too. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. If you love to landscape with trees and you haven't been to Rich's Fox Willow Pines in Woodstock, you've missed out on their collection of unique conifers and rare deciduous trees. Unfortunately, after 31 years in business, they're closing their doors at the end of 2019. So now is the time to take advantage of 40% off for container trees and 30% off in-ground trees. There's still a good supply of pines, spruces, firs, hemlocks, junipers, yews, and the deciduous larches, bald cypresses, and dawn redwoods. Many of the cultivars are dwarf in form or have unusual shapes, such as weeping, mounding, columnar, or angular. Like I said, these are not your grandfather's conifers. If you've been to the Shedd Aquarium, the Lincoln Park Conservatory, or the Chicago Botanic Garden, you've seen some of these fantastic trees. Go to Rich's Fox Willow Pines for more information. Follow them on Facebook and sign up for the e-newsletter. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And as I look into the studio, (laughs) I see the uh, smiling face of Josh Richards. How are you, Josh? I'm doing great, Mike. Good to see you. It's good to have you here. Josh is from the Humane League. Uh, He's been on the show before. And if all is going well right now, I think we might have Jessica Chipkin on Skype. Do or no, she's on the phone, right? Yes, I am. I'm here. Jessica, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, do you have? I have to always ask you when you're on the show. Uh, do you have your bird in the room with you? Yes, I intentionally. I was thinking of moving into the other room, but I intentionally moved back to the room she's in. But I closed the cage door so she's not cage free at the moment <laughs> and uh explain to people what kind of bird you have there because i know you you love your birds i have a parrot a quaker parrot a baby quaker parrot forgotten the name of of your your parrot um my my this bird is named brody brody chipkin Bro- <laughs> brody chip now does brody does brody talk Will I hear some sounds? He's extremely, extremely intelligent, maybe close to genius level. She's re- very young, and she has about 25 words already. So, she, Oh, okay. What And what kind of words does she say? She says, good girl, I love you. Give me a kiss. Good girl, step up, come here, don't bite. Uh, she says, she's saying don't bite a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> if if I were in the room, she'd have to say that a lot, I'm sure. Okay, don't bite. 
Uh, but I don't. I don't bite. Uh, Jessica is the founder and president of Crate Free Illinois. We have talked many times with Jessica. We have talked to folks from Crate Free Illinois for years. Um, and the reason that the two of you, Jessica Chipkin and Josh Richards, are back on the show is because there are things going on in the world of sustainable uh, farming and uh, humane farming. Uh, and when we had you on before, Jessica, we, we talked a little bit about Trader Joe's. Let's let's do a, a quick recap of uh your campaign for Trader Joe's, where does that stand? It stands in a good place. About uh, about seven months after we started the campaign, um, a few of the Craig Free volunteers flew to Monrovia, at tr- where Trader Joe's is based, at their invitation, um, had a meeting with them. And even though at the time we weren't sure what the outcome of the meeting was, a few days after that they posted on their website a plan to transition a good percentage of their pork products to um, suppliers that don't use gestation crates. Uh, it started in 2018. They listed products, and um, a few this year, uh, several more, quite a few more in 2020 until uh, 2022 when a large majority, not all, but most of their products would be gestation crate-free. And they've really, really stuck with it. Um, I'm always going to the stores, like, looking and um, every product that they said so far, um, they've done. There's one product where I did call. I didn't. They, they switched. I didn't see the label that said gestation crate free. They were in the process of changing suppliers. But this summer, they said they were going to start switching their bacon, and they have done that. So, um, and they are even to the point of changing their packaging now. Uh, when you say changing their packaging, in what way? Um, they put new printed labels on them saying no gestation crates or farrowing crates, which are a little bit different. So they, right. at first, it was um, the paper signs and the classic Trader Joe's uh, um, style. And then um, after a few months, they started to change the labels on their packaging to support that. So that's that's a more permanent thing, and so congratulations on that. And and, and what I would ask you about that, uh, obviously, Crate Free Illinois. You've worked very hard uh, in creating Crate Free Illinois and and getting the word out. You've become more than just a, a state organization. Obviously, you're having uh, national importance right now, and 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 Josh is is nodding there in the studio. Well, these retailers are nationwide, so that's the impact, and. Even though we are based in, we're Craig for Illinois, we're based here, I, the concerns that consumers have about how animals are raised for food or treated are certainly like nationwide. And these chains are, um, that, we're, that we're trying to influence to change are, of course, huge chains. So it is nationwide in that sense, yep. Well, and, and how many groups have you had helping you with this? I assume you're not, you're not the only one pushing for this. No, I mean, I mean, we're the one. I mean, our campaigns like uh, a specific focus as compared to um, focusing on McDonald's. But as far as support from other groups like Josh's group, the Humane League, is an organization based uh, out west, Farm Forward. Josh Ball from the the BP of Farm Animal Protection from the Humane Society. I mean, he's been a mentor and a you know a contributor for years now to our work. So, yeah, we've been really, really lucky 
um, Mercy for Animals. I mean, everybody, we're all on the same boat with this. Yeah. Uh, Josh, do you, uh, let's let you jump in uh, just a little bit here and talk about, uh, we'll get to the campaign, uh, uh, your campaign in specific. I, I'm going to start with Jessica here, but tell me about working with Crate Free Illinois. Yeah, Crate Free Illinois is an incredibly impressive organization. Um, you know, they're volunteer run and what they've been able to accomplish is really like astonishing. Um, like that's such a credit to Jess and the great work that she's done. And also, too, I've been so impressed with their willingness to collaborate with other organizations. Because I think the issues we're all facing and trying to address requires us to work together to accomplish that. And I think Crate Free Illinois has done such an incredible job of reaching out to other organizations and working collaboratively, because ultimately the way we're going to solve these problems is by working together. Yeah, I I, I would think so. And uh, you can go to CrateFreeIL.org, CrateFreeIL.org. Dot org uh, to find more information. There's, of course, a, a Facebook page um, uh, that you can also check out. Uh, what other social media are you on, Jessica? Twitter and Instagram. Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and we have the links at MikeNovak.net if you go to this week's blog. And I want to give credit, kudos to uh, Peggy Malecki for putting together this week's uh, blog. And you should go read it at MikeNovak.net. Very comprehensive about what's going on here. So we mentioned Trader Joe's, and that's just kind of a setup for your latest issue and your latest campaign, actually, which is Aldi. Uh, Aldi USA. And uh, when you look at the two organizations, Trader Joe's and Aldi, uh, what's the difference between those organizations in size, size and perhaps operation? Well, interestingly, a lot of people think that they're owned by the same um, company based in Germany. Um, uh, but actually, they're, it's, the, it's an Aldi company. There's two brothers, but the Trader Joe's and Aldi operate as two totally different operations, totally different brands, different people. Um, uh, Aldi is a larger organization, and it's, um, I mean, Trader Joe's is large and growing, but Aldi is on a particularly fast path to growth, right? There's been quite a bit written about them lately. They're the fastest-growing grocery chain in the country right now, and economists predict that by 2022 they will be the third largest supermarket in the U.S., right after, right behind Walmart and Kroger, so they're on an incredible uh, uh, run. I think they're planning to add something like twenty-three, twenty-five hundred stores by the end of 2022. And uh, Trader Joe's has always had the reputation of being like organic and hip. Um, recently, Aldi's is, is working to change their branding a little bit. They're getting more vegan options. They're getting more fresh, organic, and organic options. So it does appear that they're trying to appeal to a little bit more of a foodie consciousness, which is one of the reasons when we were thinking of our next retailer to try to influence, uh, we thought that was interesting that they looks like they are trying to appeal to that group a little bit more. That would be more aligned to this way of thinking, more conscientious shoppers in that sense. And they seem to eschew uh, a lot of the the packaging materials. In, in fact, you know, if you stand in an Aldi line, 
uh, you got to be ready. I, <laughs> Kathleen's been shopping there a long time, and I've gone uh, a few times with her. And then you get to the end, and you got to be ready to, to load that into your bag or your box or whatever you've got there because they're, they're moving it out. But I like the way they, they operate that and uh, encourage people to bring their own um uh, their own containers and their own bags. So it's interesting then that you would go to them and say, well, let's change other parts of the, the company culture. Uh, namely, the uh, the meat products you serve, making sure that the uh, pork products are not, are, are crate-free. Um, and how, how has that been going? It's been um, going really well. Uh, the, uh, we started with, it was similar with Trader Joe's. We started with a change.org petition, which is growing. And it, it's really um, taken, it's got a lot of momentum very quickly. We started the petition right at the very end of June. I don't remember, I don't remember. A, a, the exact date. I'm sorry. The connection is not great. It's hard for you to hear me. But I want to stop you there. You say the change.org con- uh, petition is going well. It's going more than well. You've had 300,000 signatures. When you had the Trader Joe's, you had more than 370,000 signatures. Um, this this is not just going well. This is impressive. So it, it means that shoppers are paying attention, doesn't it? It really does. And one of the things that's really amazing is that um, when you look at the comments that shoppers leave, there's, you could I mean, a lot of these people shop at Aldi. I noticed that a little bit more than with Trader Joe's. There seems to be a lot more Aldi shoppers commenting. And some of the comments, uh, I don't have them in front of me right now, but one that stands out in my mind is one person said, come on, Aldi, it's 2019. Why do we even need to do this petition? Um, Because it clearly says in our petition that most of the other major retailers have already taken the move to commit. Not that they're still using gestation crates, but they've all at least given themselves a timeline to stop using them. And that's what we're trying to get Aldi to do, is to commit to a timeline um, to a 100% gestation-free supply chain. And one of the more interesting things that a lot of people don't realize is that some of the big producers that are committing to gestation-crate-free supply chains, they're not doing it for the entire four-month pregnancy of the mother pig. They're doing it just for the last two months or the first two months, but not, but, and yet they're still saying gestation crate free. So that's an important distinction to say 100%. That means from beginning to end of the pregnancy. Um, so that's something that we're, we're, we added to this petition throughout the pregnancy. So, I, can I, let me throw something in here because we got, uh, we posted this on uh, our Facebook uh, uh, site the other day and uh, somebody commented on there. Uh, and she wrote, have you ever watched a sow have pigs in a pen, uh, not a crate? I have. The sow will sometimes step on a newborn piglet. She then gets agitated and stomps around more, and the piglet squeals. I have also uh, seen sows uh, eat their newborn piglets. In crates, the piglets can get away, yet come back to nurse. Uh, Do you address that that kind of issue? I, I imagine you've heard that before. Yeah, I have, and I was actually going to comment on the Facebook page right before you called. She's not, that person is not referring to gestation crates. She's referring to farrowing crates, which is where the mother pig actually gives birth. So this petition is not about farrowing crates, and a lot of farmers that 
don't use just a lot of producers that have committed to using gestation crates, they're still most likely going to use farrowing crates, which is where the mother pig is moved right before she gives birth. So that, that person who wrote that, she's referring to farrowing crates, and that's not what this is about. Although, of course, when you go to farms where the animals are outside, the mother pig is not in a farrowing crate and everybody, everything is fine. But that's how I would respond to that. We're talking about two different things. So, so explain for listeners who are not familiar with this what you are talking about. What is a gestation crate and why is it not helpful to the animal? Okay, we're talk- gestation crates are small metal crates uh, a little bit larger than the mother pig's body. This is where she stays for the duration of her pregnancy. These crates are so small that the animal cannot turn around. Um, they're not wide enough. The animal could just stand up and lay down, and that's about it. And that's where she stays for four months. That's how long their pregnancy is. Then she goes into the farrowing crate for about 10 days. Then she goes back into the gestation crate. She's re- re-impregnated, re-impregnated, goes back into the gestation crate, stays there another four months. Um, cycle repeats again and again throughout her life. So that's a gestation crate. All right. And that, that is what you're trying to get these farm operate. Well, you're, you're working on the farm operations through the grocery stores. If they can the, put pressure on these farms, that might change. It, the pressure would be to move to group housing, which, of course, isn't ideal. Um, we say if, um, if there is going to be pork eaten, I mean, ideally, you want to get the pigs out of the barn. You want to get them into a natural environment. But since pork is mass-produced, it's an incremental step to make the animal's life a little bit bigger so it could at least um, move around, um, socialize, root around. I mean, pigs naturally root around. Um, So it's an incremental step to allow the animal to move. And one one of the things that really attracted me to trying to connect with Aldi on this is they're one of the few grocery chains I've seen that has a very specific animal welfare statement on its website, um, quite quite detailed. And it clearly says in their food policy section that they support housing that enables the animal to, and then it lists a bunch of things, um, such as not suffering from unpleasant states, such as fear and pain, but also enables the animal to express innate behavior. So, we, we, need, we need to break. Hold that thought. We'll be okay. back with Jessica Chipkin and Josh Richards. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Did you know most farmers travel less than 10 miles to bring fresh food to farmer's markets? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. We all know that local food is fresher, healthier, and better for the environment. Here are a couple of more reasons to love your local farmer's markets. Farmers get about 17.4 cents out of every dollar of food delivered to grocery stores, but they get 90 cents out of every dollar from farmer's market sales. More than 50% of farmer's markets now accept some type of voucher for food assistance programs. What's not to love? Find a farmer's market near you by going to localharvest.org, eatwellguide.org, or the USDA Farmer's Market Directory. 
I'm Green Diva Meg. Listen to over 500 Green Divas podcasts and learn lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. What happens when you bring together hundreds of people from diverse faiths and walks of life across Illinois and the Midwest with the goal of healing the earth? You get the Green Team Summit, which celebrates the 20th anniversary of Faith in Place. This important gathering happens on Saturday, September 14th at the Field Museum in Chicago. And the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki will be there. We want you to join us to fight for environmental justice. Go to faithinplace.org. Get out of your car and join the people of Evanston as they walk, bike, play, and celebrate green living in a car-free mile of Main Street on September 8th. Activities include exercise classes, bike activities, music, interactive art, a giant Jenga, Bollywood dance, and more. The Evanston Green Living Festival will be there with products, services, and ideas to help attendees lead more sustainable lives. And the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a sponsor. Go to evanstonstreetsalive.org or find them on Facebook. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. If you're wondering why I'm not in the studio, because I'm uh, out on the East Coast and hosting the show from here in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, Peggy has uh, had other engagements today and could not be on the show. So uh, here we go again. But that's the way it works. We uh, Because I look in the studio and I got uh, my buddy Josh Richards there from the Humane League. We're going to get to him in just a second. We were talking to Jessica Chipkin from Crate Free Illinois about her fantastic work to move companies like Aldi and Trader Joe's towards uh, gestation-free crates. Uh, let's wrap that up. You were You were saying... You were you were talking about that when we left, uh, and and I want to also ask you about a meeting you've got planned with Aldi. So go ahead, Jessica. Yeah. So I, I just want to say that what was interesting on their website and their animal welfare policy on their website, it says that um, they support the good animal welfare means to to them the the ability for an animal to express innate behavior. And that kind of was the thing that struck me the bo- most. I think. Any scientific evidence would show that innate behavior for an animal involves moving, at the very least. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, just moving, huh? Okay. And, um, uh, and you, so you've got a meeting set up with Aldi, or at least you're working on it right now, aren't you? That's, yeah, I was re- really excited. They have reached out for a meeting, and we're working on that now. So we're excited and hopeful and grateful that they did that. That's fantastic. Well, I I hope the same thing happens uh, that happened with Trader Joe's. Although, as you mentioned, you know, what we're talking about here is not a sea change. We're looking towards subtle shifts in some of these companies, aren't we? Uh, it's not, it, they don't just transform overnight. You have to keep applying pressure, don't you? I certainly would like to think that if an organization makes a commitment, they mean that on on every level, but obviously you have to keep watching. But I always like to give organizations the benefit of the doubt, and I think Audley really gets it. Just one thing I wanted to say before, Mike, that you would really like about them is they have committed to eliminate plastic packaging by 2022 from their supply chain. So they get it. They understand how important these types of things are to people. Good for them. So that's just, there are many steps they can take, and 
that's another one. So, uh, Josh, let's get to you because you're dealing. Well, you you work with Jessica on some of these issues, like the, the crate free uh, issues. But um, there's another one that you're at the forefront of, and it's a hashtag. I'm not loving it. Uh, tell us about that. What is that all about? Yeah, so uh, the I'm Not Loving It campaign is a campaign against McDonald's, um, and it's part of the Humane League's broader 88% campaign. And what the 88% campaign aims to do is address the worst abuses faced by chickens raised for meat. And roughly 88% of all the land animals killed for food in the U.S. every year are chickens raised for meat. So this is a huge issue, and making changes here has a huge impact. And so while over 140 major food companies have signed on for the specific changes we're asking for, McDonald's has been a notable exception to that. So McDonald's has failed to address three key issues that are part of the 88% campaign ask. So the first thing that McDonald's has failed to address is the issue of breed. So the breed of chicken that McDonald's currently uses has been bred to grow so large so quickly that it suffers from a host of painful and life-threatening health issues. So here we're talking about things like leg deformities, heart attacks, organ failure, respiratory problems. And this is all pretty remarkable given that when they're slaughtered, they're only seven weeks of age. So they're still chicks. And so these birds have been bred to grow such large breast muscles and their skeleton and organs can't keep up that even though they're just chicks, they can die of heart attacks and organ failure. It's truly remarkable. So the first thing we're asking McDonald's to do is to commit to switching to a healthier breed of chicken. In addition to that, we're asking that McDonald's provide these birds with more space to move around and exhibit natural behaviors, very similar to some of the issues we see with gestation crates. Um, in this case, while they're sort of not, they're not in crates, they're kind of victims of their own body, and the stocking density is so high that they have very little room to move. So providing them with more room allows them to engage in natural behaviors. And then lastly, we're asking that McDonald's commit to clear and sufficient environmental enrichments. So here we're talking about litter quality, natural lighting, things of that nature. Yeah, we've, uh, if you follow the show, this is something we, we've talked about before, and you've seen oh, any number of different documentaries. Um, what was, uh, Jessica, the one we did in the spring, or in, in the winter, actually? Um, yeah, Eating the, Animals. The talk, eating Animals, right. Uh, and uh, Peggy and I were there, as uh, and uh, uh, Bill Turk, from Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall was there uh, moderating a panel, um, and you saw some of this. And when you see it on film, it, it moves you. You know that this, this is not right. Um, and uh, it, what's also amazing, Josh, <laughs> is to think you've got these chicks with all these problems, and people are eating them right. by the millions, okay? Yeah, and Is that something you really want to be doing? Right. It's it's really remarkable, too, because, like, you know, along with these issues that affect the chickens themselves, you know, the, the suffering they go through, there's also, like, issues you see. There's something called woody breast, where the breast meat is hard and woody. There's something called spaghetti meat. It's like so, you know, in addition to the significant welfare problems, I think also, too, like, as we inform consumers about these issues, there's probably not too many people thrilled to be eating that. So while I think you know, the suffering issue is the most important issue. There's also all these other things that consumers aren't aware of because McDonald's obviously isn't going to be advertising those sort of things. What they're showing consumers isn't the, the truth of the situation. It's sort of, you know, what, what looks nice to them. 
Um, Andrew, did, were you trying to get a hold of me for something? Uh, we might as well just... Any uh, problems? Uh, so basically, Jessica Jessica's no longer on the line. Uh, we're trying to call her again, but we're getting voicemail. So, Okay. All right. If we lost Jessica there for... Uh, we, we don't know if we'll be able to get her back. We'll see what happens. Uh, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate that. Not a problem. So, uh, Josh, where do we stand? Uh, you've uh, started this campaign. How successful has it been? Is McDonald's paying attention? Yeah, so McDonald's is definitely paying attention to the campaign. Um, so this campaign is historic in a number of ways. So for the Humane League specifically, it's the largest campaign we've ever run. But it's also historic because it's the first time a group of major animal protection organizations have come together with a unified ask of a company. So we're actually working with Mercy for Animals, Animal Quality, Compassion Over Killing, and a number of other organizations in a united ask of McDonald's. So since the campaign launched in March of 2018, there have been some significant moments and some signs of you know hopeful progress. There have been hundreds of thousands of petition signatures. There have been hundreds of on-the-ground actions, tens of thousands of online actions. We have had ads running in major newspapers. We have had news coverage in these um, newspapers. We've had a billboard in Times Square. So there have been a number of like key developments in the campaign. Most recently around McDonald's shareholder meeting this past May, there were demonstrations throughout um, the week in Chicago. And actually, for the first time in McDonald's history, they moved their shareholder meeting to a location outside of the Chicago area. So we were also in Dallas doing demonstrations on the ground there. But I think the sort of biggest kind of like indication that I think we can be hopeful that McDonald's will eventually get on board is that so many other companies have started to fill the void of McDonald's leadership. So I'm really happy to be able to announce that just this last week, a major Chicago food company, Conagra, which is like a packaged food company, so selling you know packaged food in grocery stores, committed to this ask. And they're an $8 billion a year uh, company. So I think as we see more companies, Chicago-based companies and McDonald's direct competitors, like Burger King has signed on to this, Subway, Chipotle, Jack in the Box, Sonic, so many companies are sort of filling this void of leadership. And so I think the pressure is always increasing on McDonald's to make those same changes. And, And what specifically is the ask? Yeah, so the ask is basically to meet those three things I outlined by 2024. So to switch to to commit to switching to a healthier breed of chicken. Um, These are chicken. These are breeds of chickens that have been certified by the Global Animal Partnership and the Royal Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So switching to the healthier breed of chicken, providing the birds with more space and then having clear commitments to environmental enrichments. So those are sort of the asks that we're, we're making of McDonald's. McDonald's has already committed to improving the slaughter method, which is another part of the 88% campaign. So there's been some progress on that front. But those other three key areas are where McDonald's are really falling behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, uh, y- if you want to participate in this, we have the change.org petition uh, at MikeNovak.net. You can take a look at that if, if you haven't signed it and you feel like you, you want to do that. Uh, tell us about, uh, Josh, the work of the Humane League uh, in addition to what you're doing with the uh, I'm Not Loving It campaign. Yeah, so the Humane League is an international nonprofit. So we have offices in the United States, Mexico, Japan, and the U.K., Um, And so our mission is to end the abuse of animals raised for food. So we work with at the the institutional level with corporations to get them to implement significant changes to their animal welfare policies. We've had a ton of success in our cage free campaigns for laying hens. 
Um, over 400 major food companies have made those commitments. We have some major companies already reporting 100% cage-free in their supply chain. So we've seen major shifts in that direction. We also support legislative initiatives, so ballot initiatives in um, various states. So Proposition 12 was a huge one in California recently that we supported. And then we also do work at the individual level to help empower people to make um, better choices in their diet, to to make more compassionate choices in their diet. And so I think by working at sort of the individual and the institutional level, we're able to accomplish a lot. And then we also do work just to empower the movement in general. Um, we have the Humane League Labs, which does research that's just aimed at helping the movement generally. And we also provide training and uh, leadership opportunities to volunteers in communities across the globe. So we try and um, we focus exclusively on farm animals to be as effective as possible, but we work at various different levels to have as big of an impact as we possibly can. I was going to uh, mention that obviously there's the, the humane society out there, but you more, work more, I assume, with farm animals and the, those kinds of issues. That's exactly right. So we find in the work that we do, if we focus exclusively on animals raised for food, farm animals, that we're able to be much more effective. Um, the Humane Society is a, a much larger organization than we are, and they do great work across the spectrum. And we work with them a lot on farm animal issues as well. But for us, like really having that narrow focus really allows us to be as effective as we possibly can be. And I think what we're doing, we're, we're, we're going to have to leave it at that. But the fact that we bring this up, uh, the most important part is making people aware 100%. that something like this is happening. So then it's on them. I hope that that folks are moved to do more research, to go to my website, to go to your website uh, and check it out. And then you can make intelligent consumer choices. Uh, Josh Richards, thank you so much for being on the show. And Jessica Chipkin, thank you for being on the show. All that information at Mike Novak. Oh, you're back. Goodbye, Jessica. Bye-bye. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. Farm Forward is helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story by working with farmers to build alternatives that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, visit www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter and find out what you can do to help. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show.
Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Oh, yeah, a lot of rain. Just like a dying ember. That's what it was. It was in September. That's when it was, yes, in a rain. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And I, I'm playing that for Rick DeMaio because there's some rain coming down in the Atlantic Ocean. It's headed for the Bahamas, northwestern Bahamas. Uh, Rick, are you with me? I'm with you, Mike. It's more than rain, though. It's like being in a washing machine. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, But this is, uh, I'm looking at the bulletin you sent me earlier, uh, and they don't mince words at all at the National Hurricane Center and Central Pacific Hurricane Center. Uh, They say Dorian becomes the strongest hurricane in modern records for the northwestern Bahamas. Catastrophic conditions occurring in the Abacos Islands. Holy smoke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Abaco Islands is basically that northern part. and is a little bit of a kind of an elbow-shaped key. Uh, they They actually call it Elbow Key. Um, and I was actually on that particular island um, years ago, and it's amazing. I think I mentioned this before at the top of the show. The tallest part of most of those I- islands is not more than 20 or 30 feet. So when you have a 15 to 20-foot storm surge powered by sustained winds now up to 180 miles an hour with gusts to 200, I quite frankly can't even begin to comprehend what it looks like currently on that particular island and what it will look like once that hurricane finally departs. I mean, you can have complete devastation um, literally to an island that houses, I believe, somewhere around two or 3,000 people. Not only that, and, you know, I, I, I have these discussions all the time with people who are constantly climate change deniers, where it's like you don't want to do anything to offset the economy. And, and I keep having these questions come to my mind is, what's the best way to really talk to someone about something that is sensible is to bring something up in the past. So typically when climate change deniers say don't do anything to change the environment, I bring up this question. Do you have car insurance? Do you have homeowner's insurance? And most of the time they'll say yes. I go, do you base the amount of homeowner's insurance you have on the price of the car now and the price of the house now or the price of what it was a thousand years ago? Because we constantly hear from these people by saying, yeah, but things have always been this way. They've been changing. Look what it was around like a thousand years ago. And you know what I typically say to that? I go, yeah, you're right. But let's get to the point of question now. Do you think you should have some sort of adaptation or mitigation along the East Coast of the United States in preparation for more and more of these hurricanes? By the way, Mike, this is now the 13th Category 5 hurricane in the Atlantic and the Caribbean since 2003. 
That's a mind-boggling number. Even if this hurricane doesn't even reach the Florida coast, the hurricane-force winds now extend out to nearly 45 miles. And even if it's 50 miles offshore, you're going to have hurricane-force winds coming in from the north for literally 48 to 72 hours. And I can't even imagine what the beaches from basically Daytona Beach up to about Savannah, Georgia, are going to look like over the next couple of days. Are you going to tell me you're going to provide the same amount of insurance to those people on the beach that you did 50 years ago, 100 years ago? The metrics are just not there. And I wish these people would begin to wake up and smell the coffee. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, and you say 180, and I, I have to admit, I missed it this morning because I was preparing to do this. You know, I'm out here in Connecticut and trying to, to set up uh, the uh, the uh, the broadcast, and so I didn't, and normally I would have turned down the TV because when there's a, uh, a hurricane like that, I usually want to see what's going on, and I'm looking at the photos, and I've never seen anything like this. It's, I mean, I'm sure there have been, but it's 180 miles. You said 175 two hours ago and now it's gone up five more miles and that's that's remarkable and this is a storm that when it started nobody was saying much about it they said well it might be a category one it might hit puerto rico it kind of dodged puerto rico was the intensity the intensification uh did this catch people off guard no 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 i i even on thursday even on thursday we were looking at a category four basically forming in between the bahamas and the east coast of florida that was always known we knew that that was going to happen. Now, granted, the forecast was for a Category 3 by Saturday. It ramped up to a 4, and we at least thought it was going to be a low-end, if not medium-end, 4 uh, by today. But the fact now that it's up to a 5, what does that tell us? That tells us that the ocean and the atmosphere have the ability, sometimes beyond even computer models, which are very sophisticated, to, to generate a storm of this magnitude. So what does that tell you? Do you prepare for the least or do you prepare for the worst and at least make sure that the people who live in those areas of the Bahamas and also the east coast of Florida, as well as Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, to make them understand that we agree with the science and we're going to do whatever we can to help them protect their life and their property. Scientists are not bad people. We are good people. We're always trying to make sure that we're doing stuff for the benefit of people and not trying to hurt the economy. So I wish that narrative would stop. I can't even imagine people who who think that scientists are doing this. And I met a scientist, uh, I, an oceanographer, that I spent time with the last couple of days. Um, just remarkable guy who's been down to the bottom of the ocean uh, uh, dozens and dozens of times, and I'm so jealous of that. I just think about that. But, you know, when, when scientists get accused of doing this for their own nefarious purposes, you think, well, what, what do they have? To, how do they stand to benefit from telling the science, telling the facts, telling the truth about, about something like this? It's the people who deny it that seem to me have uh, uh, the other uh, uh, agenda in mind. And uh, so I, I'm with you, Rick. Uh, I don't get that. Uh, so let's look at, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, the track of this and how's, how is it going to affect, uh, Florida and the Carolinas and Georgia? Right. Uh, it does look like it's going to continue to move West. It's probably going to make the right turn maybe by late tomorrow, if not maybe tomorrow night and into Tuesday. And it does appear that it's going to miss Florida, it's going to miss South Carolina, it's going to miss Georgia, and probably click the area of North Carolina. However, 
as I mentioned before, even if it's about 50 to about 100 miles offshore, the fact that it's moving really slow and the fact that it's now generating tremendous surge and tremendous surf is going to have a devastating impact. If you look at the way the coast of northeast Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia are shaped, Mike, it fits right into the overall wind pattern. So when you're taking northeasterly winds for three or four days and you're basically taking all of the beach and all of the sand from north to south, you are going to have catastrophic sand erosion along those beaches that sometimes may take five, if not ten years to replace. And the questions are this. Are we then spending money to put food into people's bellies and to fund kids who have low low income to have books on their tables in school, or are we funding to have more beaches built up year after year after year? The questions are really excellent to ask, because at what point did the ethics go from having beaches, which obviously is going to help the economy from a recreational standpoint, but where does education come in at that standpoint? Bottom line, any way you look at it, it looks like the storm is probably going to miss the main part of the United States and, again, clip the east coast of North Carolina. Okay, give us a 30-second forecast. All right, nice today, nice tomorrow, beautiful weather for Memorial for Labor Day tomorrow, upper 80s, and then we'll talk more about how the summer of 2019 panned out next week, Mike. Have a great time in Connecticut. <laughs> thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. I want to thank... All of my guests, Lamanda Joy and and Joan and and uh, Jessica and Josh and of course Ellie and uh, and what's his name? Yeah, Andrew for keeping the ship afloat. Okay, you get ready to join in. I'm going to give you the question: Go green or go home? <laughs> okay, it's over. good enough. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.